Hey, She Slays listeners. Before we get into the episode, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, the Focus Academy. So you know chiropractic can help kids, but you lack confidence in your knowledge or communication skills to educate parents in your community. I've got a solution for you. The Focus Academy gives you the training and education to understand the why behind those wins and challenges you're seeing in clinic. They teach you how to perform a full brain-based exam, how to go beyond just the subluxation, but stay principled in your chiropractic approach and address and understand the consequences on brain development. They take a two-pronged approach. First, clinical solutions taught in a way that gives you full access to a deeper and more comprehensive understanding and breaks those techniques and approaches down into digestible and practical steps. Second, right now strategies you can employ wherever you are in your training. You'll learn how to seamlessly ask and answer the big questions in your clinical exams and re-exams and have it actually inform the whole child approach and care planning in a way your patients will understand. And since you're a She Slays listener, you'll get free access to the Focus Academy's Kickstart program. Just click the link in the show notes to get started on your journey to improving your practice. Hey, She Slayers, and welcome to another episode of She Slays Today podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lauren Brunslick. So if you're watching on YouTube, you can see that I have a nice glowing tan. Uh, we just got back from our family trip to Mexico. Uh, we went to the Dreams Riviera, Riviera Cancun. Dreams Riviera, Riviera. Hmm. Uh, Dreams Riviera Cancun. This is like our sixth year being taking our kids. I, I don't, I wouldn't go back to any of them. <laughs> But like, they all are great and they all have their things, but I'm also a maximizer personality. So I'm constantly like, I'm much more the type of person who's thinking that next resort is going to be the best versus like just trusting that I would rather take the things that weren't perfect. I don't know. So, um, but if I had to pick, if I had to pick one to go to, I loved the Nickelodeon resort in Punta Cana. It was awesome. So there is one in Riviera Maya. We might check that one out next year. I also have heard amazing things about Moon Palace um, in Cancun. I haven't been, but like lots of good people. And then also just the Virgin Islands. But here's my thing why you haven't been to the Virgin Islands yet, because I have lots of people who've said like, it's the Hawaii of the Caribbean and you don't have to use passports. And that's so nice. You don't have to worry about going to jail. Like, oh, that sounds great. But we already have a two hour drive to the airport. And so you can't get to the Virgin Islands directly from Minneapolis. And so we just like trips that don't have a layover. Like we just, you know, it just adds so much with that drive at the end. So the layover is just not worth it. So that's why we haven't been to the Virgin Islands yet. But I heard great things for you fancy people who go there. But it is funny because so Kirby and I have a very different dynamic on work you know, and vacation. Like I am actually somebody as a workaholic, you would think like I'm the person who just loves working on vacation. And no, I'm not. I am, I don't know what this says about my human design or my strength finder or whatever, but I get on vacation and I am like, I bring gym clothes. Ask me how many times I actually work out on vacation. I would say nine times out of 10, I don't. I really don't. I bring them though with the highest intention and I have used them before. So it's just enough to be like, no, you should bring them just in case. But I don't, he works out every day. He meditates. I'm, 
I just turn into like a pile of garbage. I'm just like, is it Jabba the Hutt? I don't know, like that big pile of just like, um, give me another drink. Uh, I finished three fiction books. Yep. Um, yeah, that's what I did. I enjoyed my kids and chilled. Kirby enjoyed the kids too. Um, but it is, you know, you're leaving. It's funny though, watching like me flick back online. So I have this pattern that starts to happen as you're, as we're returning to the airport. So I'm sad. Like even like literally the day before I could be like, you know what? I'm actually excited to go home. And then day of, I'm just like, I don't want to leave the ocean. I don't want to leave the pool. I don't want to leave. Sometimes I actually cry. Most of the time I don't. Most of the time I'm just like sad. Then typically comes like Zillow. Now, Zillow or TripAdvisor or like Cheap Caribbean, I basically start looking at like, what do the houses go for around here? Could we buy one here? Uh, where would we go next time? How much will that cost next year for us to go there and start, you know, mentally planning, but I start, or, you know, I'll start planning the next trip, even if it's not next year's all-inclusive, you know, we might go to Washington DC this summer, start looking at things like that. And then like work Lauren starts to like flicker on like a, like a robot that's starting to get like wires connected. And, um, so I'll like bounce over to my notes and start putting like to do's like oh yeah and like three or four ideas and I'm like oh yeah I gotta make sure I email that and then I gotta do this and then I gotta do that and then I'm like all right back to Zillow and then like it comes back in and then I start making a reel and then I start doing this and so it's just very funny because I'm like in this morning process I'm we have not even gotten on the airplane yet it's just in the transport from like me being sad in the hotel lobby to getting in the vehicle to like it's just a funny it's just a funny progression and then work Lauren just comes back online and she's like ready to get shit done and happy. So I don't, that is the nice thing is when I do get back to work, I'm like, not too, I don't, I don't get too sad. Like, I'm not like, oh, I wish I was still on vacation. I'm like, no, I am glad to be here because you just find that flow. And I definitely lose that flow on vacation. I don't know. I'm just, okay. I guess one of those people, like in an ideal world, I like what Kirby's got going on where his days are just kind of the same. <laughs> like... He works out, he meditates, he brings electrolytes on vacation. He, you know, he's reading, still reading books, fiction, nonfiction. He just stays. And I'm just like highs and lows. Um, but that does match our personalities in general. Um, I forget the word for it, but like he strives to just not have super highs and lows. Equanimity. Is that the word I'm looking for? Anybody know? No? You guys are worthless. He looks for that equanimity in life, just emotionally. And so you can see it displayed in his habits. Me, I'm just like racing hard. And now I'm like, okay, now I can't move for three days. Okay, now I need to do this. So I don't know. I don't know if either one's right or wrong. I think that we we're all just have our strengths, don't we, people? Okay, let's get into this. So we have a listener highlight. The name of this Apple username is Dr. Lord. DC. And I wish my last name was Lord. I guess I actually don't know that his or her last name is Lord. But anyways, they say it's a must listen for chiropractors. I am so thankful for what you do for, for wait, what? Let me start over here. I am so thankful for what you do for what Dr. Lauren does. Okay. I think she might've messed this up. She might've been drinking. Dr. Lord, were you in Mexico on your fourth margarita? So I'm going to edit her first line for her. I'm so thankful for what Dr. Lauren does for the chiropractic community. 
I started listening to her and have truly been inspired and felt heard by her shows. I just began listening, already implementing as much as I can from what she discussed, and it has been very beneficial, easy to follow, and down to earth. Okay, now I don't know. She might have been drinking because easy to follow. Would you say I'm easy to follow? Ooh, ooh, I don't know. If you are good at following a rabid squirrel, then maybe I am easy to follow. But Dr. Lord, I really appreciate, really, really, really appreciate you spending the time to write that review, even though you may or may not have been drunk um, while you wrote it. Just joking. Just joking. Don't, I hope you're not offended. She's in like an AA and I'm like offending her. Ah, foot in mouth. Um, and if you haven't written a review, I would love that. It would make my little heart skip a couple beats if you did. And you can do it on Spotify now. My daughter showed me and I instantly forgot. But for those of you that are maybe younger than me, you can write a review on, on Spotify. Bare minimum, subscribe. Like, I don't know, hit subscribe. That would help me out a little bit too. Uh, yeah, so there we go. Next week, oh my gosh. Yeah, you ever come back from one trip and you like basically unpack to pack for the next one? I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. But we got back. Friday, and then we're leaving Wednesday night for TRP, the remarkable practice. We are taking our team to their team immersion event. Full disclosure, I don't coach with the remarkable practice. I might someday. I don't know. Maybe I will. Lona just became Lona Cook just became a coach for her, them, and she's a pretty cool person. So I like her. Um, but I do really like their events. And so you can pay to go to their events. And I just don't think we have enough team events happening within chiropractic right now. Um, our team used to love going to Epic Impact in San Diego. I don't know if they do that anymore, to be honest. For those that know more of that backstory, we're not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. Um, but yeah, so just looking for, you know, good team events that really, because sometimes your team just gets sick of listening to you. Can we just all admit that, like, do you know that none of my team listens to this? Like, they don't want to listen to the podcast. Why would they want to listen to more of me talking? So we do our annual like meeting and stuff, and, but really it's just so nice to bring people to get inspired by someone else. And TRP does it great. So you probably, you're not going to listen to this in time to go to TRP, but keep an eye on some of their other events. They've got like a marketing one this year. They've got conversion one. And I think they do um, a team again. So just be on the lookout. So for today... So I have Dr. Del Rey Messer um, on the podcast, and we talk about a lot of things. Uh, you think I'm a squirrel, people. Holy moly, Del Rey, I say it with love. She knows it herself. She called herself out. So she is, um, she, she's similar to me you know, keep, keep it her in line on topic. So we talk about a lot of things. She is a 2007 magna cum laude graduate of Northwestern Health Sciences University. She liked them better than I did. Um, she is a passionate advocate for healthcare solutions. She's raised in rural North Dakota. She transitioned her successful lifestyle weight loss program to an online executive partnership with Isagenics International. She's a working mother. She helps women balance dual responsibilities, emphasizing social impact entrepreneurship and the positive effects of volunteerism. In 2020, she funded an award-winning children's coloring book, When We All Stayed Home, addressing the emotional impact of the COVID pandemic. Her recent project involves diverse baby dolls and a book on human trafficking prevention. Dr. Messer's interests include global travel, cultural experiences, Pilates, and quality time with family. 
The pandemic and a family member's cancer diagnosis have taught her the importance of meaningful moments and leaving a positive impact. Um, and you will definitely walk away going, this girl has way more motivation than I do. I mean, not you, I'm saying me, like me, me. I'm just, I don't picture her sitting on her butt for five days in Mexico reading fiction. No, not thinking, not thinking that that is uh, Del Rey, up Del Rey's alley. And I actually reached out to her because I saw she was a speaker on the Millennial Chiropractic Summit that Dr. Elise had held this past summer. Um, and I love having women on. So without further ado, we're going to pray. And then we'll get going. Dear God, thank you so much for the continued opportunities of these conversations as we get to be exposed to people who are just on fire about so many different, so many different passions. Um, remind us as chiropractors that like, yes, you love the nervous system too, but some of us may be being called to have a different impact outside of our clinic and adjusting and that that's okay. That's okay. You are loved. You you really don't care as much as we care about what our identity is. Um, God, I think you just care that we look to you to be good people and love and have the greatest impact we can while while being able to simultaneously be gentle on ourselves. Um, I know as an Enneagram three, that's something that I just so so struggle with. I always should be doing more. Always should be doing more, and like. I think that that's a trap that we can get stuck in of like, yes, you want us to do as much as we can, but like, I don't think you want me walking around with that, that burden of, I should be doing more. So as we simultaneously hold on to perhaps you opening up pieces, parts of our heart to opportunities that you're going to bring about to us. Also remind us, can't buy your way into heaven. Um, and so just just be chill about it. Just be cool. Just be cool, people. Be cool. All right. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Del Rey Messer. Enjoy. Okay. So you are a Northwestern grad. This is something I just learned about you. I am. Yes. I'm a Northwestern grad. It's so exciting. Yeah. You were 2007. I was 2000. So I don't, I think you graduated right as I started, but like, there are some bomb ass women coming out of Northwestern. So like Elise Rigney's a Northwestern grad. Do you know Lona Cook? Yes. Yeah. She's Northwestern. Like I'm pretty she spoke sure. At one of my women's events. Oh yeah. She spoke at one of my women's events because <laughs> she's cool. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I'm how, all right, we're just going to go there right away. Did you, are, are you happy you went to Northwestern? I am. Yeah. yeah. I actually had a great experience. Are they paying the biggest, you to say that? Nope, not at all. Um, I think the biggest challenge was I had a three month old the first day that I started. Whoa. So I would say the gap that I see is the the childcare was really, really hard. Mm -hmm. Um, but other than that, I I actually formed really great relationships with with teachers, professors. Do other schools have childcare or something? I don't think so. They I should just, though. I'm really passionate about that topic. We mm -hmm. can go into that. Uh, for working women or women in um, school. So got it. Um, no, I think I had no problems with my education there. It was, um, it just, I didn't realize I was not a philosophical chiropractor going in. I didn't choose Northwestern based on anything other than geography. So I think it was, and so that's really more my fault of being super green. 
and um, not, you know, reading a green book or anything. It was multiple years in practice that I was like, oh, I wasn't really shaped to be anything. I think Northwestern does a good job of making very neutral chiropractors, not anti-philosophy, but also not super philosophical. And so like, in one sense, I didn't even realize I was neutral. Like I was, I just came out like, we're all the same. Right. And I was like, we're not, what do you mean? There's fighting in the profession. Absolutely. So, okay. So you started in Edina and then I saw that you took your, you went all online with your business. How did that, what, tell me more about that. Yeah, I think what shaped me during chiropractic school is why I became really passionate about what I did after. Mm -hmm. I was very observant in knowing that we weren't going to get a lot of business and marketing education. Um, so the platform of and foundation of education on becoming a technician is all there, right? I think it's absolutely excellent, but that's in really most healthcare professions. Um, so I saw that if I was going to ever own my own business, I needed to really understand that side of things. So when we had speakers come in and kind of share their stories and a few that resonated with me, I remember vividly walking to the front of the auditorium, auditorium room and asking them if I could pay them to work for them. And one of the reasons why I was really passionate about getting experience and kind of throwing myself into that kind of marketing right away was because I had been listening to self-help and personal development um, tapes since I was really a young girl. I'm saying tapes because they were cassettes at the time. Um, I grew up in a really small rural uh, farm in North Dakota, and I knew my only way off the farm because my parents couldn't afford college was an academic or athletic scholarship. And I wasn't talented at anything, which is actually a blessing in disguise because it really, um, it empowered me to create habits that became not only important uh, personally, but also professionally. So I had been, you know, reading the book, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill and new mentorship. Yeah, what was, age? Yeah, I mean, a teenager. So later teens. Yep. How did you even have access to that thinking at that age, though, that you should do that? I think I kind of came out ambitious and my mom didn't really know what to do. So she started to buy me books like Chicken Soup for the Soul. And my dad was really a natural leader as far as empowering and, and leadership goes. And I think when they thought to themselves, like, we can't necessarily give them financial support, but we can give them character building and values and provide the tools and resources that we know are going to carry them through life. I was very fortunate in that way to have um, really empowering parents. I would say the environment was challenging, especially being a woman and a lot of the, you know, subconscious beliefs and limiting beliefs that were placed on women. But I also found that being in a small town, I had coaches and teachers and mentors that really held me up and empowered me in those ways, which is why empowerment is so important to me. And being a guide more than an expert is I know exactly what it feels like to be at the beginning and especially coming from humble beginnings. So in graduate school, I, I had a three month old that was going to be relying on me someday. So I had, I, I mean, some would say a three month old was relying on you right then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've met a couple of them. They're very needy. Exactly. <laughs> so true. It was, um, it was really hard, but I knew that I wanted to be able to give her the type of life experiences that I couldn't at the moment because she was in daycare the majority of the time and childcare as I was going through school. 
Um, so going to seek mentorship was specifically that I wanted to immerse myself because I knew experience and experiential learning is how I learned best. Um, yes, we can read all the books and we can try and prepare ourselves and study, 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 but eventually we have to talk to the patient. Eventually we have to go out and market ourselves. And that was uh, more than challenging. I was super uncomfortable. I was not well-spoken. I would sweat down to my, my waist every time I would talk to someone. But the repetition, repetition, repetition of needing to stand at a craft fair or mall kiosk and screen 200 people and find ways for people to stop and talk to me. And not only then stop and talk to me, talk about their spine and their health, make that valuable and important enough for them to book an appointment and not only book an appointment, but then show up for the appointment. Mm -hmm. Let's just say I got used to rejection very fast. I got used to numbers and understanding if I talked to 200 people in a weekend, maybe 20 would say yes, and maybe two would actually show up. So I'd say those realistic expectations of what it was going to take to be in the real world were validated my first trimester in chiropractic school when I chose to work for these mentors. And they really taught me a lot of what I know specifically on communication, which as we know is absolutely essential. So you kind of glossed over the rejection aspect, which I think a lot of chiropractors struggle to get over when they've been in practice 20, 30 years. So you're basically what I'm hearing is you're a T1, right? And mm -hmm. you offered to do screenings for chiropractors for not free. You paid them. Did they actually make you pay them? Or did they just they allow did, you to come I for offered. free? Okay. And by <laughs> that time, you know, they were, were starting low. And then by the end of it, when they saw I could, you know, help a lot of clients and their patients come right. in and new patients, they were paying for like my babysitter. <laughs> right. You know, like, yes, we'll do anything it takes. <laughs> okay. So your T1 and you're doing these screenings and you're dealing with the rejection aspect. So was, would you say prior to that, you were somebody who dealt with like needing a lot of external validation from people? Or was that was, just not something that you really cared about? Um, external validation was important, but it wasn't my motivator. It didn't make it. I was intrinsically motivated and it was kind of the sugar on top, like coating on top as far as validation. And I would say that I didn't necessarily look for validation from um, just anyone. It was from somebody that I admired or inspired me. And, you know, that kind of validation was more in how can I improve than you're the best at this because I always believe there's room for an improve, improvement. So actually being able to critique me and give me feedback as I develop those skill sets is what I needed. And I think it's what a lot of people need. We live in such an instant gratification world. And I think often the identity crisis of being a doctor keeps us super stuck or an expert mm. keeps us stuck in believing that our way is right and that we can't change our mind and that we can't be open. And there's a lot of challenges with that. Leadership is shifting in a big way, especially in healthcare, as we know, and what patients look for. They don't look for someone to just tell them what to do or somebody that's incongruent, not healthy themselves. There's a lot that people are asking for now and the consumer is smarter and people are looking for a deeper connection than just, again, being told what to do. So our level of self-awareness and I believe also self-regulation offers us the ability to help people discover where they're at in their journey and be more of a 
guide with them because that builds trust. And that foundation of trust is absolutely essential. And when you have that foundation, you can more easily understand that somebody isn't rejecting you. They are either not ready to make a change. They're not ready to commit to the value that you're offering. It's a completely different approach. And I had to develop that. I didn't have that um, when I first started. That was something I had to learn with time, a whole lot of conversations. And I would say a lot of people that you just don't want to work with at that point, right. not don't want to, but you realize you can't help everyone. They have to so be ready. Overcoming to help the, you did have to overcome feelings of rejection. Oh, wait. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think okay. I, Cause I'm like, are you some kind of superpower freak? Like no. what? Okay. No. Okay. But, um, so how did you as a, because whether you're a T1 or a new grad, so like you really feel you've got to feel a little incompetent, right? Like I'm, we're not talking to the person who's been the chiropractor who's been in practice for 10 years where it's like, you should feel competent. You have done reps. I don't know how to help you. No. Um, but like you didn't have much experience. So how did you feel confident? And how did you not feel like an imposter talking this when you were air quotes, just a T1? Well, I did. <laughs> and I think that's number one is to say, you know, we're not always going to feel confident on our first try, or we're not always going to feel confident. And I feel like if we try to actually portray that or project that, we end up maybe sometimes projecting more ego than people are actually, they, they don't feel connected to someone. So instead, I would actually admit and be vulnerable that, hey, I'm feeling a little bit nervous about this. You know, you're my first patient intake. Thank you for being um, gracious with me. And I feel like that just vulnerability is our greatest connector. And I think as a professional, we often forget that our, our patients and clients are people and they want to see themselves in us just as much as anyone else. And in fact, that's such a stronger motivator for patients because it, it makes you real. And I'm very honest about, you know, my days with being a busy mom of two and just relating because wellness and well-being is a journey and if we don't get on that journey with people they feel super disconnected and we live in a loneliness epidemic right now so our providers professionals like yourself people are looking for that so you're gonna feel like an imposter is my point as you're building confidence but go back to lessons of you know what we try to teach our kids the first time we try something will be uncomfortable you most likely won't be great at it but it's repetition repetition so to answer your question my mentors that were absolutely exceptional they just threw me into it like threw me into the ring immediately um, and first taught me about state and energy and the fact that people pick up on our energy faster and body language than they do the words that come out of our mouth so how can we practice being open and having an energy that people are really attracted to and that they want to be around and that they trust. So state was um, a concept that I didn't know about. I didn't understand it. And at first, you know, it felt uncomfortable because that whole fake it till you make it feels really like weird, right? It feels right inauthentic. Away. Inauthentic. Yeah. And what I like to tell people, it's not just fake it till you make it. It's believe it until you embody it. Oh, I love that so much different. more. It's different, right? It's mm -hmm. I believe in myself. I believe in my skills. I believe in my capability to develop those skills, but it's not going to happen overnight. So I will tell you what I do now is actually how I teach my team and leaders that you know, need to go back to square one and practice connection, you have, it's a skill set, you have to practice. So 
I would have conversations with the mirror. I would then go out and the more conversations that I had, which is why I believe any kind of marketing opportunity you have, do it. If you hate public speaking, like you're going to have to be a leader at the front of the room at some point. We know that's one of the most important places to be if you are a healthcare professional. So how can you make yourself uncomfortable, but also in the process, find small wins that keep you going, that reinforce your confidence as you go and surround people, uh, yourself with people that elevate you. I think that's my, you know, ticket is, you know, anyone that's looking to develop those skill sets and belief in themselves and empowerment and embodiment of those values and confidence surround yourself with people that actually see you and want to bring you there. It took me way too long to understand how important your circle is. Okay. So I think my original question was, how'd you take your business online? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. We got off, uh, got off track on the confidence factor. And going we'll come back to it. We'll come back. <laughs> Um, how I didn't know how to, um, but my why was so like it was through isogenics, right? And like wellness coaching, right? Yeah. So like I think okay. Before that, um, you know, my why was to create flexibility in my time to be with my older daughter more. So my why was my driving factor because I had no idea how. Um, my presence on social media way back, kind of when it first started, was really natural. It was just kind of like documenting my journey and my progress. So I didn't know how to communicate online just through that experience. As far as then selling products and what was going to go into that, I actually created my own nutrition line, Dr. Delray's Detox. That was, I mean, let's just say it was a, it failed, but what I learned in the process was a lot. And I learned, you know, manufacturing, formulating, labeling, distribution, fulfillment, um, all of the processes of a business, a customer service center, um, all of it I learned. And it that's what carried me into the next chapter where all of that solo entrepreneurship challenge of going online and being everything, marketing and the back end of the entire business, what started to happen is I, loseed, um, I lost connection with uh, clients, like online over a computer screen was just not the same as seeing people in person. Mm -hmm. So when I was introduced to Isogenics, I felt connected to the quality and purity of the product first, because that was number one for me to feel authentic was that I could do my due diligence knowing that I came from that background to ensure quality and purity. And then I realized, oh my goodness, if I didn't have to do all of the day-to-day -day that I was doing, I could actually focus on what I really love to do, which is education, empowerment, building leaders, and making a bigger impact. So I just looked at it as a leveraged business, but I also had a lot of skepticism about the industry that I had to get over and a lot of limiting belief systems about it. So did you struggle? So was one of the limiting beliefs, uh, I'm going to project here. Absolutely. So um, was one of your limiting beliefs that unless you were adjusting and that's how you were making your main source of income, that you weren't really using your chiropractic degree or you weren't a real chiropractor? That's a really good question. I don't think it was necessarily that because nutrition is what brought me to chiropractic. A close family friend was a chiropractor and he's who taught me about uh, taught me about um, growth mindset, nutrition. And that is that was actually my path to chiropractic. So it was less of that and more of I'm in an industry that lacks credibility and I am a professional. So how do I translate 
being a professional and being credible in an industry that lacks credibility. You're talking about chiropractic. I'm talking about like a network marketing model. Oh, okay. So then how did you overcome that? Um, I had to build belief in the industry as a whole and start to really understand how the business worked, how the compensation plan worked. And then um, if you get to know me well, I have a high value of responsibility. Responsibility meaning don't overpromise and underdeliver. Your language is very important for what you present in an opportunity. And, you know, there's many, many ways that I think this industry has kind of shaped what it's been known for. And I wanted to make sure that I was very intentional mm-hmm. about how I built it and very authentic. Um, and I will say, after, you know, nearly nine years, that would it's definitely the number one compliment that I get that makes me feel seen and heard for the due diligence that I committed to in in building a business like this is that a lot of people feel it was done in an authentic way. And I really um, appreciate that. So do you miss adjusting? I miss the interaction of seeing clients and I would say the families. That is yeah. what I miss the most. I mean, I still adjust- But you sought freedom. Like, yes. yeah, yeah, it's, it's a major struggle. Um, well, how many years in practice had you been adjusting or like, About you know, in five ish. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say it was probably around seven years in practice for me where I was just like, Whoa, are these walls like closing in a little bit? Or like, you were just realize like, I fell in love with a profession that can't be virtual. I fell in love with a profession that requires like hands-on in a building and freedom was so important to me. You know, I had my kids and I wanted to be able to like live a much more free life. And so it was just this kind of thing where it's like this push pull that you feel, which just is a struggle within the profession. Absolutely. Especially for women. I mean, everyone's affected. Like I said, when it comes to childcare, parents are, but women have carried the burden especially since COVID, of the weight of both work and children. And it's only really gotten worse. Um, So that's something that I'm extremely passionate about is because you don't really know when you're in school that there's a few options. (laughs) One associate, you know, work for someone else. There's a lot that goes with that. Usually the pay is like basically paying your student loan debt. And then, you know, the other option is going out on your own, which is risky and challenging in so many ways, you know, and other options, there's just not a lot of them. (laughs) So I do feel that there is innovation that can happen for a lot of health professionals and women, especially. And it's something that I um, mull on in my head every single day, to be honest, is giving women more options that have these exceptional degrees, but are limited in how they can actually use them with the capacity that they have for both work and life. And to be honest, your physical body with adjusting. Mm -hmm. So So do you think that working women, because you've talked about like working women, especially a couple of times. So, and this is an area that you feel really passionate about helping working women. What are some of like the self-limiting beliefs and like just struggles that you see when you're working with working women? That we can do it all and that you almost get praise for that. Uh, I think because of our culture, being a very individualistic society, 
an achievement-driven society. I can do it on my own. I can get farther than my parents or previous generation. Like we're very focused in that kind of channel of thinking and it eliminates what I feel is actually necessary and a need, which is it takes a village <laughs> and more connection and community. You know, it, it took a lot for me to actually ask for help for um, many, many years. And it's because, again, growing up on a farm, it's like you just do it and you don't complain. You don't talk about it. You pull up your bootstraps, like all of those kind of sayings and where I'm, where I'm from too, like mental health was not talked about. You know, if you were having a rough season, like bury your emotions and cover it with dirt, you know, like that's kind of how I grew up. And if there was something wrong, it was very taboo to talk about it. I was the first person in my uh, family to go to therapy. So I believe that's another um, avenue that a lot of women can take is accepting that therapy is amazing getting to know yourself better becoming more aware aware becoming more self-regulated that really took years for me to understand and if we actually built an ecosystem again that felt more like a village you would be okay asking for help there would be shared experiences to to decrease that burden and load because now we're kind of called the sandwich generation and in my 40s and you know, you start to think about aging parents and care for them. And we now live in a society where the care economy is broken and it's, it's, we don't have workers to care for people. So that burden is falling on women. The majority of the time when kids are sick, who takes care of them? And because childcare is such a problem, or just, again, that concept of a village, we're taking a step back in all the advancements that's, that we've made as women because it, it takes us out of boardroom seats. It takes mm -hmm. us out of advancing and it takes us back. So I think that there is a lot of innovation that is going to happen because I believe the women that are experiencing this are just blown away that there aren't more choices. Yeah, so I want to talk about that, but I do want to say I I think that the taboo of therapy and having emotions, my opinion is that women, yes, have been told like, listen, if you're going to be here, like if you're going to be in this boardroom, if you're going to be a professional, if you're going to be working, then you got to like keep those emotions at the door. Is that, but I think men, I mean, we're, we're finally saying like, oh, and only, you know, 10, 20, 30 years into us being here, being like, actually, we're going to be women and we're going to own that this is actually what gives us a superpower. And I feel like there's probably so many generations of men that they're we're decades away from them still being able to be emotional. And they're like, oh, well, that that actually sounds nice to be able to not have to be the stoic one. And so I feel like I feel like in general, women coming into the workplace and us going, okay, we have to be like the men. And then us starting to go, no, we don't. My hope is that us having this conversation of saying, like, no, I don't want to, like, I'm gonna deal with my mental health and I'm is going to allow a safe space for then the men to go like, oh, that sounds nice. Can we do that too? And we'd be like, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Because I've heard so many men talk about like, it sucks, like expecting not to have any emotions. Like, yeah, you know, boys even more so than girls will rub some dirt on it and stuff. So like, I think that we're women are going to do some magic in allowing that conversation to move forward where it's like, no, 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 we both, both men and women need to move forward with both their feminine and their masculine energy. And it's, it's okay. The mask, the men are going to be fully men, but allowing to have that, their energy too. 
So when it comes to some of the things that, you know, what innovations do you see coming over the next few decades that allow women to stay in the boardroom more? I see a future where we have to work between the public and private sector and intersect between the two, because unfortunately, as we know, government's slow. So it's challenging to be able to inject the type of capital that we need into something like childcare. It hasn't been done. So we can't wait around and, you know, kind of wait for that to happen. Some states are moving faster than others, Vermont and New Mexico. They just had some really big changes in their childcare um, laws, which are very exciting and investment. Um, but the private sector is exciting. And that's where my passion for social impact entrepreneurship and conscious capitalism and intentional capitalism, um, I believe just are the way that we can open up a whole new world of innovation and thinking is helping all of us think in a different way because it has to start at the micro economy. You know, we can try and change things big scale, but it, it's not gonna happen fast. So what can we do in our community to start to stimulate more help and investment and different ideas? So. Um, but many, like I said, states are doing that. There's women that are at the forefront of innovating concepts and ideas. Um, I have a few that I'm working on myself, which I'll be happy to share soon. Oh. Um, but it is, uh, you know, again, it's it's finding a way for there to be affordability entering, you know, a job. Let's just even say like chiropractic or a profession like that and being able to offload a lot of your business costs and kind of the sharing economy, right, is very, is very um, now accepted. You know, you think about different things like Uber, and there's a lot of different sharing models. So finding concepts that work for more people to enter a profession with less overhead and risk and time um, and being able to share that among many of them is, it, and it's an exciting new principle. And it's exciting too, because the commercial real estate market is in a challenging position, which is actually um, exciting because remote work is here to stay. Uh, there are people that do not want to work, you know, in the same way. They don't want to spend hours in rush hour traffic. They took a step back during COVID and said, hmm, I like certain things about my life slowing down. There are things that I value, like family dinners, like being able to talk to my children longer so and carve out that time because it is our most precious commodity. So everything I do is thinking about how we can invest in that microeconomy and get nutrition, movement, access, affordability um, at the ground level because that's what can sprout into new and innovative um, models. So you had earlier said that you felt like COVID really heightened this pressure on working women. Is that what you mean by like all of a sudden they became aware of like, oh, being home for dinner is nice and like things like that? Or Absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, it was the first time we all like had to slow down. Mm -hmm. It's the first time we were forced to. And I think it just left a lot of people questioning I know I did. I traveled a lot and I had a suitcase packed a lot of the time. And I just found a lot of comfort in rooting for a while and just being in a bit of a cocoon. And, you know, I thought about the other day, I'm like, wow, I know like every distinct part of my daughters, both of them, their eyes now, because I actually like sat, you know, and just intently spent time. Like I often think about 
the fact that many of us just don't have quality time or those relationships anymore. We feel so lonely. Like this is the majority of people in our country right now. We feel so lonely and we can have relationships around us, but are we really there? A lot of us are dissociated in stress and fight or flight and intentional moments are hard to come by when we're under that much stress. Yet the longest study done on human happiness is not what product you're going to consume or buy on Black Friday that's going to make your life so much better. It's actually literally one quality relationship in your life where you feel seen and valued and heard. And often we're not even finding that in our families because we don't, no one teaches us how to cultivate healthy relationships and that that is truly one of the most important aspects of our health. So I'm very passionate about starting in my home and in my local community, volunteering, you know, getting out there and being intentional about the problems we can solve and putting on a different hat instead of complaining about everything that's going on and how bad people are and how divided we are. Like, yes, that's a reality. But in my world, I, I believe and I want to role model to my girls that there are enough good, incredible people in the world that want to make an impact and solve real problems, including our broken healthcare system. Um, and that starts with being able to actually feel like we can provide for our children and work at the same time. And right now, childcare is either the top or second highest expense in households. And it's yeah. unacceptable. That's how I feel. <laughs> I was talking to a Cairo um, out of a major city and she's married and she doesn't have family around that area. And so, you know, she's like, well, we'd like to have a kid, but we'd have to leave where we currently live because uh, childcare is like $40,000 a year. And I'm just like, whoa, $40,000 a year. And that's just for one kid. And so it is really this interesting social dilemma that's like, you it makes complete sense when you look at you know the cost of healthcare and so as a chiropractor who needs an in person person like i need a front desk person right they i need a real person not a virtual person to like say hi and run a credit card and answer a phone and do the things um actually all those things could have been virtual but you know what i mean um maybe not to say hi and so we go like okay well that person in order to justify them having someone else raise their kid, them deal with the feel that struggle of like, I want to be there for my baby, but okay. Like if they're paying $40,000 a year in childcare, they're, I, I can't afford them. And so, so many chiropractors right now are really struggling with intense turnover at their front desk because they're like, well, I can't pay $55,000 a year for this job, but that's what they need or that's what they can get because other like companies are able to pay it and get it. And so it is, it's this really big struggle right now. Yeah, it's, it's a problem. It's a major problem. And I mean, on the other side of the, even trying to get affordable childcare, that's the problem is because childcare providers are paid less than what you can make at a fast food restaurant and they need a four-year degree. So not only do they have student loan debt, they don't get paid well. And that's a high turnover because how, how do you do that? You care for children all day. One of the most important roles that we have is pre-K development of the brain. It's literally one of the most important times to develop 
a child's brain and we don't have people that are paid well to do it. And the other aspect is the majority or they're 50% are minority women. And that's challenging. It's a huge problem. And if I think about healthcare and think about burden uh, and what affects our health, I don't know of anything that is more important than solving a crisis like that. So that's what I think about on a day-to-day basis. Yes. I mean, pick pick something that you're passionate about because I mean, that's what social impact entrepreneurship is. It's saying like, listen, I can be a chiropractor. I can be, you know, a nurse, a doctor, I can be anyone, uh, but I have, I've seen the problems. I don't see anybody doing anything about it. So how do I contribute? Even if you don't solve the problem, be a trailblazer and pave a path where someone can pick it up in a future generation to say, do you know your Enneagram type? You just said, (laughs) If you can't solve a problem, then just be a trailblazer. <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying. I feel no, like everybody's just like be a big thing. These social problems feel big. Don't you agree? Like they feel massive. Oh, yeah. And people say, well, like I might as well not even try to solve this. It's a, you know, a massive issue. What is one person going to do? And that's my point is mm-hmm. you may not be that just one person that does it, but you know, there's going to be an easier path that you pave for someone in the future to pick it up and say, huh, that's an idea. That sounds interesting. Here's how I can iterate on it. And I think too many of us stay still and paralyzed and don't use our voice and don't try because what if I fail? And what if it doesn't work? Well, many great ideas happen because of ideas that have happened before. Do you think that that is... Like, do you think that there's just a plethora of people that have lots of ideas, but that's the reason it's not happening is because they're afraid of failure? Absolutely. I mean, we live in a culture that is going to, it doesn't support failing, failing forward because mm-hmm. every highlight reel that we see is an entrepreneur that had overnight success or an mm-hmm. influencer or a YouTuber. I mean, we interview our children and the top couple of of professions they want to be is an influencer. And my eight-year-old wants to be a YouTuber. And I'm like, okay, well, we're yeah. gonna yeah. deal with that as you get closer to graduation. Like, yeah. um shit. And that's my point is that when we have our eyes set on what we believe is impact and influence and success and all of that external stuff, we take our eyes off of these very rooted social problems that can be solved with intense, I'd say intention. And where that intention goes, capital can flow. We have less than 3% of of venture capital going to women, less than half of that going to minority women. Like we have a lot to a lot of work to do, but I also believe that the more of us that talk about that, and you know, I also see that gender gap is more of like a motherhood gap. You know, there's so much that happens after motherhood that takes away choice because of where we're at right now in our structure and system. So, but I mean, I just it's a call to action, and I think that. There are a couple of women that have done that for me. They have said, you know, this is a call to action. This is not a book or audible for you to read or listen to and do nothing. It is for you to step up and try something, um, anything and start locally. And that is, I think, one of the most empowering things that we can do. So, you know, working women. Yep. So we have the childcare. We have like the literal logistics of balancing 
being like working and then like feeding, clothing, providing love, security. So as my role within chiropractic, whatever the heck it's been for the last few years, I have found a lot of female chiros working moms have reached out and I think they're surprised that uh, their feminine like evolution kicked in and they want to stay home with their kids. And it's, um, you know, so like the way I kind of view this all went down is like, all right, so we've got like the women of the 70s, 60s, burning bras, get, you know, getting voting rights, all that stuff. And like, it's just the inequality was so in your face that you couldn't even think about what are the air quotes repercussions of this going to be. And so then they start working and they're really a silent generation. Like the, the women who are now probably like 50, 60, 70, who were working and doing this. Like I talked to my mother-in-law and she worked from 10 PM until like, or no, from like 6 PM to 2 AM for the postal service would come home, sleep until 5 AM for like three hours, wake the kids up, get the, and I was just like, wait, wait, wait. So did I just hear? that you slept on average three hours a night. And she's like, well, yeah, because then we had the farm and then I had to go to work. And I was just like, okay. So then we come along and we're like, yep, we're expected to go to college. And of course we're going to work. Of course we are because my I saw my mom do it. And then we're just like mentally exhausted and wondering why we're burning out. And it's just because it's just, you know, so this is not my personal experience, but like, I do know a lot of women that are just like, I have this degree and I love it, but I just want to stay home and raise my babies. And there's immense guilt there. I'm like, what do they do? <laughs> I I think it's okay. I think we also need to be okay in whatever decision we make for a season in our life. I was that woman who was shocked that the taste of time that I had at home with my now 10-year-old that I did not have with my older daughter it was, it felt like freedom to me to have that kind of flexibility. And again, I had a work from home business and that's not everyone's experience um, where my skills transferred for me to be able to do well in that business. But there are so many opportunities now. There's so many side hustles and online opportunities. And I really do believe that when we pivot and we use strengths and skill sets that we've learned and we apply them to a chapter and maybe it's just a chapter or a season. It doesn't have to be forever. I think that's another thing is our identity. I feel like we take with us and what we want to, who we want to be and what we're going, who we want to be is not necessarily what we want to do for a period of time in our life. And we hitch so much of our identity and, oh my gosh, I spent this much on this degree. And now I have to do this job this way because I spent all this money and you know, most likely family members had to support you. And, you know, this was supposed to be the role that I was playing in my work. And that changed. I changed my mind. And I'm here to give you permission to say it's okay to change your mind for what works for you at different seasons. I did. And I think you just have to keep trying because the online space is just so exciting to be able to do both. And then hopefully, again, with innovation, we give women more choice. Like maybe it is, I want to stay home full time, but there's like a co-working space where I can pop in and my child can be watched for a few hours and I can get a few things done with just feeling lighter without having the burden on me 24 seven, you know, for, for both. So that's what I see for our future. I just know women are so 
um, innovative and ambitious. And when you get in those right circles, like you just continue to elevate each other because who else knows what it's like to go through that journey other than you. And um, you deserve to really have it all. I feel like I have been fortunate enough to be intentional to build a life where I feel like I am the best mom I've ever thought that I could be. Um, so present, intentional, and responsive, and never perfect, but I've never had a goal to be perfect. Um, it's just to do better and be better every day. And I also feel like I consistently change my mind or use my entrepreneurial skills to pivot and shift. And I do not get stuck in one place because feeling stuck is one of the worst things that we can do. It takes us out of our purpose when we feel stuck. So the more choice that women have, the better. And again, solving some of those big problems gives women more choice, no matter what they choose to do. So it feels like you're extremely forward thinking. Like, you know, when you talk about like it failed, but then failing forward. And a lot of people don't have that capability. Like when they fail, it is so much a result of like, they take it so personal and um, it sends them kind of spiraling. So besides this being honestly, probably one of your natural like strengths, how do you recommend someone to become less fearful of this failing? And like, I think incorporating the pivot in here. So this is what you're saying is like, okay, if you're in this situation, then don't don't not do it because you're afraid that this all was a failure. Don't like stick in a situation where you're like, well, if, if I leave, then I'm a fail as a chiropractor. Like, how do you help that mindset become more forward thinking and not view it as a failure? That's a good question. I think that's something that we really have to work on and it's going to take a lot of intention and practice because this is neuroscience and it is rewiring the brain it you know because if you look at your childhood most likely a lot of your belief systems about this topic started there were you um surrounded by a growth mindset or have that instilled in you before age nine specifically or was it more fixed mindset around you you know things are out of your control things in life happen to you you know fortunately i had a mindset at a young age that even if I wasn't good at something, if I was passionate and intentional, that I was going to look really bad when I did it. I was going to, you know, I got over the embarrassment and the paralyzation of fear that those uncomfortable feelings that people feel when they try something new. I put myself in uncomfortable situations all the time and released feeling shameful or embarrassed or guilty if it didn't work out. And there are so many things that I'm really bad at. It's like really bad at. I was, and I was definitely, it wasn't a strength to look at failure as forward progress. It was instilled in me at a young age. And so if you did not have that shaping you, um, because many people don't. And again, that's where I feel like oftentimes when I'm a guide or a coach, I always say, I wish I could give people the childhood they deserved. Um, because it does shape us in so many ways. But the good part is you can actually rewire your brain. And that's proven with research. It just takes a lot of intention. And this is where we need to get our environment right. Because willpower is not enough. Um, our brain has been hardwired for a very long time. So disrupting our environment before changing our behavior is essential. And what do I mean by that? How can you create more ease and flow in the type of habits you want to create? 
and create safe containers for you to fail forward with encouragement, not only from yourself, but others around you. So I encourage you to try something new that you've wanted to try, but avoided because you'd feel embarrassed. And I'll just give you examples. Like I'm a horrible dancer. I was, <laughs> and I was like, you know, I'm going to try dance classes because it's super uncomfortable for me. And you know, there's certain things of being in my body, like at a younger age that I was not allowed to do in a very strict, you know, environment. So I had to find ways to like, get that out of me and get that kind of like new embodiment of who I wanted to be, if and feel uncomfortable, do it. So you doing it. So you could do that alone, or you could do that with an amazing supportive friend that you have. You know, again, if it's trying, you know, strength training for the first time, and you feel super embarrassed going into a big gym, and you don't know where to go because you feel like everybody is looking at you and judging you. Like pick up the weight for the first time at home, but just purchase it first, get it in your house, get it in front of you. And that makes that habit easier. So I'm a big proponent of like environmental cues that make it so much easier for us to transform the way we view failure. And you would never look at your child and be like, oh, you can't tie your shoes. I'm going to tie them for you forever. Or you can't tie your shoes. Like that's horrible and you're judgmental. But we do that to ourselves every single day when we want to progress forward or try something new. Even, you know, just a simple interview like this might be hard for a lot of people, um, but it's just practice and repetition, just like anything else. Like keep repeating and repeating and repeating the environment of feeling uncomfortable and suddenly it shapes you to get excited about trying something new. Do you think that women more so than men struggle with this fear of failure? I believe so, yes. Where do you think that comes from? I think it's cultural. <laughs> um and I think we're progressing when it comes to that, like just having more role models in is essential. Again, uh, somebody to look up to whether it's in professions or sports or just again disrupting different industries that women have never been a part of. We just have not had the same roles of leadership um available for us to see to continually we ha I love seeing myself in someone, not wanting to be them, but certain character traits. And I gleam like inspiration from the work that women do in social impact entrepreneurship. And rather say, rather than say, I can't try that because I'm not going to be as perfect as her. It's I see that she did it. She is now an example for how I can move forward with more confidence. And I just think that the more of us that show up in those positions, use our voice and our actions, we will have the same representation. Representation is, I think, really matters. So I'm going to ask it in a different way. Yes. Do you think men are as humiliated or go down the shame cycle when they fail? No. Like, are we softer on men for failing? That's or are they, or does it come down to if you're a confident person? Because I mean, I think we raise boys more confidently than girls. We definitely do. I mean, my household does their damn best not to, but like societally. Um, so do we just make more confident men? So when they fail, they're like, that's okay. I'm awesome. And like, first of all, I don't want any man listening to be like, well, that's not fair. Like we need women to have the exact same thing of like, we need women to be like, I failed that's okay. I'm awesome. <laughs> like, so it's not tearing men down to have less confidence. It's going, oh, we need women to get more confidence because if you're confident, then when you fail, 
you don't immediately go into this self-doubt. I love that. It's a great perspective. Fortunately, I had men that wanted to pass that on at a young age, like really incredible, influential coaches, teachers, and again, parents. Not everyone has that. And it's also foundational. You know, at that eight, nine, 10 years old, they start to develop their sense of self. And if that sense of self is not built on worth and value and self-love, it, it is challenging because again, what we're surrounded with in society are images and standards. And the standards aren't usually on a woman's like confidence, character, mm-hmm. innovation, values, you know, it's society built on, we all know. <laughs> and that's when we start to crumble. I mean, Sadly, some of the highest rates of self-harm and suicide studied recently have been in 10 to 14-year-old girls. And where does that come from? Why? The lack of confidence, self-worth, self-esteem. I mean, we can definitely say social media plays a part, but there's a lot of other factors that I think are very important, including parenting and standards of excellence in parenting that are unachievable. Um, That has been shown in studies to really do a lot of harm on um, confidence in young girls. Um, so what kind of standards are we are we expecting them to meet? And it's it's become more and more. My daughter even applying to college was a mind-blowing process. And the amount of pressure and stress on them and standards to know what they are supposed to do with the rest of their life at 18 is mm-hmm. mind-blowing. So to answer your question, I think it's a really great perspective that the same amount of intention that's put into young boys and their confidence, um, we absolutely need the same in young girls. It it definitely can feel like we haven't, like we're losing progress. It definitely can feel that way. Are we, are we crazy? No, I mean, what I worry about, here's what I worry about is I, I think that women will pivot and men will pivot quickly. Those going like, I want to have it all. I want to be able to have a successful career and spend time with my children. I want to be able to have that freedom and I want the abundance to be able to travel. What I worry about is our brick and mortars of like, you know, I was at, um, not a dinner party. That's how like, I, I was at a gathering. I was a gathering. It was my husband's 20 year high school reunion. And, um, and I was talking to a lawyer and a dentist and we were talking about how like I'm hiring for an associate again, (laughs) you know, like I've been in practice 13 years and, you know, I have great associates. They're wonderful. And they come for a couple of years and then they move to where they go, which is like, all right, that's fine. Um, And then the dentist is looking for a dentist and the lawyer is looking for, and it's just like dry out there. Like it's like a Sahara desert of trying to get um, more and more docs coming in and more and more of these brick and mortar businesses. And I mean, you see it, you see it in like McDonald's paying $20 an hour in like, that's, that's in North, Northwoods, Wisconsin, you know? And so it's just like, I do go like the virtual thing is incredible. And I love that we have this as an option where it's not like, nope, you just have to stay home and deal with that. But like, what's going to happen to our economy? Uh, because there's a lot of jobs like target needs people to stock the shelves. I mean, they'll get robots, but like my daughter's going <laughs> right now. That's where she headed to is target to stock shelves. Um, but, but I, I hear you more than, you know, 
because I have a partner that's in the direct care industry for the care economy. And finding workers is it, it is one of the most challenging times in 20 years. And you just can't right now. They're like, they don't exist. And I don't, I don't think this problem is being talked about enough. It, we are going to start to see infrastructure of not just like our day-to-day of going to fast food restaurant to like a retail store, but the brick and mortars and then the healthcare system, direct care. It's really scary. Like it's very scary. And you're right. The virtual, you know, opportunity is, is great and exciting, but it never replaces human connection. And we still need the care economy. And so how do we solve that problem? It has to come from innovation. We can't keep doing what we're doing. We know it doesn't work. So what are those choices that we have? Look at a model where you have all of those women business owners sharing, again, the overhead of the space and childcare. And I believe that is, you're right. I do live in forward thinking because I can't stay here mm-hmm. <laughs> and continue to perseverate on the problems that exist um, as we speak. And my hope is it just inspires a lot more people. What I believe in is there's a book, and I'll finish with this, is um, it's called Hidden Potential. It's by one of my favorite organizational psychologist, Adam Grant. And he talks about the potential that's within all of us, but often gets missed in our society and specifically in our country because people see extroverts and people that have all of these strengths. And we, we look at excellence as something that we can see versus the ideas that are within so many people that may not have the personality that gets seen or may not be in an environment where you can even go to a manager or a boss and say, I have this innovative idea because it's shut down. Maybe it's a competitive space instead of a collaborative. So my vision is to create spaces of well-spoken messages where people can start to think differently about how we solve these problems that really plague our society and keep so many people stuck. And I think that comes from my humble beginnings of I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be broke. I know what it's like to be on WIC groceries. I know what it's like to struggle financially. I know what it's like to be out of unhealthy relationships because I did not know how to choose or cultivate them. I just know what it's like to really live in a lot of women's shoes. And it keeps me going to say, like, I will never forget that woman (laughs) and how hard it was to get here. And that's why I feel so connected to your message and any woman's story, because I think stories really empower us to say like, I can do it too. Well, your passion is like very, very evident. So I'm very glad that there are people like you um, that exist. Okay. So where can people find more of you, Delray? So I just launched my new kind of landing page website. I wanted to simplify what I was doing. I took a little step back from events because there's so much to host. Um, and drdelray.com, so D-R-D-E-L-R-A-E.com um, is my new kind of landing page. And I'm actually supporting people through habit transformation. So I call myself the how-to guide on how to habit hack your well-being. Um, Because again, there's so many experts, but I do believe having somebody that's been a beginner in all of it, in your health and in your journey is really important to be able to connect and relate. Oh, I love that. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you. And um, yeah, we'll have to have you come back to talk about habit hacking because that's another awesome topic. So, all right, She Slayers, check that out. And until next week, bye.
Hey, She Slayers, are you looking to get your team off the phone and streamline your front desk so you can spend more time doing what you love? Sked has exactly what you're looking for. They will automate all your appointment reminders, missed appointment reminders, reactivation campaigns, allow you to have two-way texting with your patients. Plus, they have a very cool app that your patients are going to love. The app alone saves chiropractors tons of time because it gives patients the flexibility to move appointments to a time that works better for them. Don't worry, you won't lose control of your schedule because you'll have access to all the parameters that keep you still in control. Plus, there's overbook protection, so your schedule won't get out of hand. SCED was created by a chiropractor for chiropractors, so you can rest assured that you're getting the absolute best system for your office. Dr. Eric Kowalki is committed to the chiropractic mission, and he works closely with his developers to always be innovative so that we have the best system available. If you're hesitant to switch to SCED because you already use something else, let me tell you, it's worth every penny. Plus, mention that you heard about it on my podcast and they'll give you a discount. Seriously, it is a game changer. Don't wait. Wait.